Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Oxbow Partners is happy to support this episode of Following the Rules. Oxbow Partners is a management consultancy specialising in the insurance industry. In 2022, we were again named one of the top 10 consultancies in the sector by the Financial Times. We help our clients, who include insurers, reinsurers, regulators and investors, with everything from growth strategy to operations, technology and M&A, not to mention the impact of the increasingly complex regulatory environment on their businesses, such as the current FCA General Insurance Pricing Fairness Rules, about which you'll find lots of commentary on our website, oxpopartners.com. If you're keen to understand the challenges and opportunities coming down the track for your business, please drop us a line. In the meantime, enjoy this podcast. Given the data that you've seen, there will be cases they will be looking to take further. This should be on every FCA-regulated firm's agenda. Today's episode is a deep dive into the Financial Conduct Authority's efforts to tackle finance workers' misbehaviour outside of the day job. In it, I reveal that the FCA received 746 notifications of such misconduct amongst senior city staff in 2020 and 2021. Of those, 646 related to breaches of COVID restrictions. Together with today's guests, we discuss the action the FCA is likely to take as a result of such behaviour, what finance firms should be doing now to better track and ultimately stamp out non-financial misconduct, and plenty more in between. Penny Miller is a partner and head of the financial services regulatory practice at law firm Simmons & Simmons. Mark Turner is a managing director in the financial services compliance and regulation practice at risk consultancy Kroll. Hi, Mark. Hi, Penny. Welcome to Following the Rules. Hi, good morning. Hello. Good to see you. We're here today for a bit of a deep dive into the Financial Conduct Authority's plans to tackle non-financial misconduct within the financial services sector. So what is non-financial misconduct? Under FCA rules and guidance, anyone regulated and working in financial services must be a fit and proper person. Historically, the analysis on whether someone was deemed to be fit and proper considered how the person concerned did their job. But in recent years, the scope of that assessment has broadened to include behaviour outside the workplace. And the seeds of this were sown in 2018 when Megan Butler, the FCA's then Executive Director of Supervision for Wholesale Investment Firms, indicated that the FCA would be broadening its scope when she stated that the regulator viewed sexual harassment as misconduct, which fell within the scope of its regulatory framework. And then more recently in 2020, Jonathan Davidson, the FCA's then Executive Director for Retail Supervision, said that the watchdog saw non-financial misconduct and the poor culture it leads to as the key root cause of recent major conduct filings within the industry. So perhaps starting with you, Mark, could you summarise what actions the FCA has taken since those statements I've just referenced to tackle non-financial misconduct in the sector? Yeah, thanks, Lucy. So there's some enforcement action, not a huge amount, but the action that firms are seeing is actually coming a lot more from the supervisory teams that they deal with at the FCA. And so, as you just said, Lucy, until perhaps 2018, non-financial misconduct would have been seen as an HR-only matter and something that the FCA would not have been particularly interested in. All the cases really before that involved 
arguably some kind of financial aspect, even if the driver of the issue may have included non-financial aspects. But I think it's the supervisory approach that has evolved over the last four years or so. So firms, when they engage with their supervisors at the FCA, are being asked questions about things like bullying, harassment, and and, and non-financial misconduct, and they're expected to be able to respond to those questions. And Penny, what do you think is motivating the FCA in this area? And how have you seen firms react to the FCA's statements so far? Yeah, the clear link that the FCA are looking at is, and Megan and Butler articulated this, is that when you've got things like sexual harassment and certain other non-financial misconduct, that can drive a poor culture. And a poor culture is at the heart of many conduct failings. So if you tolerate that kind of non-financial misconduct, that's a clear driver of a bad culture. And if you think about it, a lot of the great failings in the industry have been as a result of that poor culture. So if you think about things like LIBOR and other things during the crisis, they were driven by that poor culture. And if you think about what we're trying to do is have more diversity in the industry, having less of that group think. If you've got people being sexually or racially harassed, then that's going to be very difficult for people to speak up and very difficult to encourage that diversity. I do think that we've got to recognise that the FCA's ability to bring cases for non-financial misconduct, just thinking about some of the enforcement that they've already done, and not without their limitations. Okay, so for the conduct rules for a bank, looking at fitness and propriety, there are limits on what the FCA is able to look at. So just looking at the conduct rules for a bank, in order to be found in breach, you've got to be carrying out functions relating to the activities for which the firm has approval. And for non-banks, it's even more limited. It's got to be related to the SMCR financial activity, or it's got to be an activity which has got a wider prudential risk. So uh, there is a technicality about how far the FCA can actually take this. And just thinking about one of the enforcements, and it is worth reading this if you have an interest in this area, and that's the Frencham enforcement by the FCA, which then went to tribunal. And in that, the tribunal was very clear that you have got to link the individual misconduct to the regulatory role that that person is carrying out. And in the French case, it was pretty serious. He was convicted of grooming a 16-year-old girl. There were various other things in that. There was various other things where he hadn't been seen to be alerting the regulator, for example. But the tribunal was pretty scathing. And they said that there has to be a basis for a link between Mr. Frencham's lack of personal integrity to his professional role. So even though they found what he was convicted of pretty awful, and they do say that, there has to be a link between the offence and the consumer protection objective of the FCA or the integrity objective of the FCA. And they do say personal integrity and professional integrity, they are linked, but they're not necessarily the same. So those types of cases do make it quite difficult for firms to really work out where is this line that we've got to draw. So firms have to look very, very carefully at what is the behaviour of the relevant individual that they're looking at from an employment perspective. But they've then got to think, how is that linked to the regulatory role? Okay. And you mentioned that the tribunal was pretty scathing in the Frencham case. For those that may not be familiar with it, they were scathing how towards the firm for its handling of it, towards Mr Frencham himself, towards the regulator? Well, actually, they were quite critical in some ways of the FCA in not 
providing that link in evidence between the activity and the, the, the clearly very serious criminal offence, there was no doubt about that, but actually providing that link to the FCA's powers under the regulatory regime. So to be clear, the, they ended up supporting the FCA in the view that Mr Frencham could not continue in the industry, but it was not by virtue indeed of the offence and the conviction itself. It was in relation to other matters. So if you think something as serious as that is not necessarily an automatic disbar, then you can imagine a lot of the things that firms are seeing day to day means that it is quite a difficult decision and a balance that firms are having to make. Okay, so there's a real risk of FCA overreach here, which we can potentially get to a bit later. But before we go there, I was keen to find out how much non-financial misconduct was being identified at city firms. So in July 2021, I FOI'd the FCA to ask it to disclose how many notifications it had received from institutional fund managers and wholesale banks relating to non-financial misconduct of their senior managers and the level below that certified persons. And this was non-financial misconduct over 2020 and 2021. The FCA responded last month and digging into that data, the FCA said it had received 194 total notifications relating to non-financial misconduct amongst its most senior staff at banks, of which 146 related to breaches of COVID restrictions, 33 related to bullying and 23 to racism. It also disclosed that it had received 552 total notifications of non-financial misconduct amongst senior staff at funds, of which 500 related to breaches of COVID restrictions, 43 related to racism and 11 to bullying. Question to you, Penny, again, are are these figures higher or lower than you expect? I found these really fascinating. There are some extraordinary figures. I found the COVID numbers quite surprising. We did have a lot of questions around breaching COVID restrictions during that period. And just to be clear, you get something where an individual has breached a COVID restriction, the firm finds out, they then have to make a determination whether that, for example, is a conduct breach. And there were obviously a lot that were reported to the FCA. I saw perhaps some firms setting the bar a little bit higher in terms of what is a conduct will breach. So is a breach of a restriction, for example, that doesn't relate to where an individual is getting a fixed penalty notice from the police, is that something that actually amounts to a conduct will breach? It's very dependent on the facts, but clearly there are a lot of firms that thought that they were breaches. And it is difficult, isn't it? Because if there's no fixed penalty notice, there's no action taken by the police, then to say that that person has a conduct or breach, it is tricky, isn't it? But there were times where that might be a breach of a firm's policy, for example, on testing or isolating, which we definitely saw firms determining they were conduct or breaches. And I think the other thing is, for example, where we saw individuals working perhaps from a different country, they lied about where they were working, and that can cause other issues, not just relating to COVID, that can cause licensing issues, for example, if the person's not allowed to be serving clients from that jurisdiction. So I think the COVID ones were really quite surprising to me. Sadly, and somewhat depressingly, actually, I did think that some of the other numbers were less surprising. So firms are increasingly taking reports of bullying, harassment, racism very, very seriously. And there really is a change, I hope, and trust is going on in the industry that does accord with the sorts of things that we are seeing and hearing in the industry. So there was twofold in my mind when I saw those numbers. Mm-hmm. Mark, what interests you about this data? 
COVID numbers, they're interesting. You could say that actually it's positive that there was a, a large spike in notifications due to COVID because perhaps it got firms thinking about non-financial misconduct and uh, starting to report cases to the FCA. However, they were strange times. And of course, now it's pretty much behind us and the restrictions have gone. Those numbers will drop down to zero, one assumes. And then we're then left with a trickle, aren't we, of the, the types of issues that the FCA has been driving. Maybe it's a bit flippant, but I think it's a Mark's point, you'll get it hopefully zero COVID. But what we start then seeing increase in is things related to alcohol. So when you start to get people getting back together and having the work drinks and all of that type of thing, then you start to get the conduct coming. I remember I trained one firm in 2019 for the asset managers and I trained all the staff and I said, talking about non-financial misconduct and behaviour in the workplace and behaviour at parties, they had their Christmas party and there were three incidents that evening at the Christmas party and that will come back again, although COVID will go down. What we're seeing is when we have conversations with firms that there are firms where this very much is on their radar and they have listened to the FCA statements and where there are HR type disciplinary type matters, then they are considering them in the context of conduct rules and reporting notifications to the FCA. But they're probably still in the minority. A lot of firms that we speak to, they see HR and compliance as two sort of very separate and areas, almost silos. And we're still seeing a number of firms that link really isn't effective. And the the FCA would expect there to be a better linkage between the HR team as it's looking at serious non-financial misconduct and the compliance teams who are typically the ones who are responsible for determining whether something's reportable. And that is definitely still variable and certainly an area where the FCA is asking a lot more questions. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Firms are still trying to work out where do we draw the line, i.e. where is misconduct so serious that it becomes a conduct rule breach? Because without any clear guidance, other than, as you've said at the beginning, the, the dicta that is out there, the learning and in speeches and that kind of thing, there isn't any real guidance. And we don't have enforcement cases other than these very egregious cases. Firms have to decide where are we going to draw the line? Where are we going to set that bar? There is still a bedding down of where firms are setting that bar and people have conduct rule breach committees which debate these things and people are still setting that bar quite high. And we saw the PRA come back in their response for the banking regime last year where they did say they feel they're getting less reporting of conduct rule breaches they would like. So I do think that that sort of thing and the more that the FCA engages through supervision with firms, we are going to start seeing more being reported. So I'm not sure necessarily that it's the behaviour and the incidents that are changing. It's really the reporting level that is going to change. So i.e. firms may well be reporting more. Okay, that's a really good point, because obviously what this data is, is the numbers of notifications that the FCA is receiving of non-financial misconduct from regulated firms about their regulated employees, because that's a requirement in the accountability regime that firms must notify the FCA if they see instances of non-financial misconduct amongst their top tier of staff. And what you're saying is that bar is quite high, and therefore that might be a reason why the numbers aren't we would expect in certain areas but there are still huge numbers in the COVID section of the data could you give a few more examples of what you saw in relation to non-financial misconduct instances that related to COVID breaches that the FCA was potentially notified about yeah there was one where someone was meant to be quarantining in a hotel and they'd come into the UK they had an altercation with someone who was delivering food to them 
in the street. They weren't supposed to be out in the street and they had a fight in the street, actually. And they'd been to a bar and that kind of came out. So they were breaching a restriction, but it wasn't just a breach of the leaving the hotel. It was actually the altercation that then came up. So they tended to be where there was something additional which was coming into play rather than simply somebody breaching that requirement and having notified the firm. There were a couple where the police had come and where the person had been arrested. An arrest anyway, individuals should be notifying the firm, but it was an arrest for COVID rather than an arrest for something else. So those are the types of things. They were more likely to be a breach where there was something additional that was coming in and not just the COVID restriction breach itself. There was one, for example, where there were people in the garden and there were more than six. So there was the rule of six at that time. That particular person had three families, which was more than the right number. And the neighbour notified the police and the police came. And in that particular case, they were given a warning rather than they were actually given a fixed penalty notice. Mm -hmm. But that individual was concerned about publicity in that case because this individual was a pretty senior individual at a firm and so they were concerned that actually that could get splashed on the news and so they notified the firm and I think that is one other point to remember is that when you're looking at the conduct rules for example when you look at integrity remember there's rule one which is integrity and rule two which is around competence to do your job Integrity is quite hard to define, but it does talk about reputational risk of the industry. So if you're about to splash a senior manager on the front page of a newspaper, that's going to be reputational risk for the firm. So they tie together in some ways, I would suggest as well. So that particular person, he's doing the right thing by telling the firm because Mm -hmm. you want the firm to know if there's any police involvement ever. That's what you always want to tell your people the Mm -hmm. firm wants to know. But in that case, it could still go to lack of integrity if as a result of his breach of the COVID rules, he gets splashed on the front page of the newspaper. That firm then gets splashed on the front page of the newspaper. And then the financial services industry is seen to be in disrepute. Mm-hmm. Could have been a breach of rule one in that case. I believe okay. it wasn't deemed to be, but it could have been. Yeah. yeah. It's a minefield that you can understand why firms are struggling to know where the lines are here because the, the rules are so open to interpretation. I guess adding to the confusion here, we have mentioned a, a number of times during this conversation that there hasn't been that much in the way of enforcement in this area on the FCA's part. And it is public information that in 2018, the FCA opened one investigation into non-financial misconduct. They opened five in 2019 and none in 2020. And those six cases, as you've referenced, Penny, were related to quite egregious behaviour. As part of my FOI, I asked the FCA to disclose how many investigations into non-financial misconduct they had opened in 2021. And they said they could neither confirm nor deny whether they had opened any enforcement investigations into non-financial misconduct in 2021. Mark, how do you interpret the FCA's response there? It's interesting, but probably hard or unfair to jump to any conclusions from that statement. Mm. Uh, Obviously, there are certain non-financial misconduct cases that are quite sensitive, and the FCA will be keen that it doesn't share data too early. There may also be some operational challenges within the FCA saying, well, look, actually, we've got X number of cases going on at the moment. How many of these cases involve a non-financial misconduct element? how many of them are driven primarily by a non-financial misconduct element and how many actually do we just not know at the moment? So you can look at the the allegations and the drivers for the investigations, but sometimes it might be that that until you get further on in the investigations process, it's only then that you can actually determine whether this is a non-financial case or not. It's hard to know what's behind that statement. I think we will see 
a non-financial misconduct finding which engages the conduct rules subject to them connecting that behavior to the scope of the financial services activities they do so it could well be i suspect a senior person who's got some managerial oversight who's in a bit of an abuse of power type situation i think that's the kind of case that i think the fca will be building it's interesting they didn't choose to answer but I suspect that might be the type of case that they will want to build to show the industry the regime does really have teeth on this side. So that's what you think the industry needs to see to continue to take this seriously? Yeah, exactly. And I think given the data that you've seen, there will be cases they will be looking to take further. It seems to me that would be the sensible thing for them to do. I suspect that's balanced a bit against Frencham, where They've obviously got to be very clear of their grounds for doing that, which is why I think it's going to have to be something where it's a manager or a senior manager doing some kind of harassment or bullying or something within a team. So it's very clearly linked to the regulatory perimeter. When would you expect that to come out? I think they'd probably love something to come out this year, actually. The thing with these cases is they take a long time because they've got to investigate and an individual is more likely to fight than a firm. The firm may well settle. An individual is going to fight because it's their career and it's their life. So I think these things take a long time. So I, I would think as soon as this year, potentially, given how long the regime has been in place, this year, next year. And the risks of that not coming out, that people stop taking this seriously? I think that's right. I think without without teeth, it's going to be difficult. Although we've got to have some connection to the regulatory perimeter, things that happen completely outside the workplace. Wards dinners are quite difficult. Things that happen in private life are going to be difficult to bring in unless they are very egregious. But I think that there normally is going to be that link between that non-financial misconduct and financial misconduct. And that's the thing I think we're going to see firms focusing on a bit more. Okay, because what I was interested to know is what you expect to happen next, and particularly in relation to the COVID breaches, because those volumes of notifications are quite so high. Can we expect any enforcement action specifically related to that? The enforcement action is going to be really difficult on a pure COVID breach. I think there would have to be, to Mark's point, something additional and something really linked to the regulatory activities. I don't know, maybe if you'd breached and then you brought COVID into your workplace very deliberately, that could be something. But I just wonder whether the regulator might want to move on a bit from COVID. And we haven't seen them really engaging on an enforcement perspective in the COVID breaches, certainly in other respects on the non-financial misconduct, as I mentioned, but not specifically on COVID. Mark, I don't know whether you've seen something different. No, similar, but Penny, I mean, yes, of course, within these COVID cases, there could be some quite serious breaches, but I think there are also possibly some quite minor breaches, as you said earlier, Penny, not all of them involving even fines that have made their way into these numbers. So I would not be surprised, as agreeing with you, Penny, if there is very little actual enforcement action from the FCA off the back of this. Okay, and do you see the FCA taking non-financial misconduct notifications in relation to other negative behaviours such as harassment or bullying more seriously than they have taken notifications relating to COVID breaches? I would say on balance, yes, but of course within those COVID numbers, there could be some more serious cases that they will take Mm. forward. But I think the FCA do follow up. Obviously, it depends on the nature of the breach and, and who it relates to. But yes, certainly they do expect action and they expect the firm to be able to articulate what it is that they themselves are doing. Mm-hmm. But of course, not just looking to the FCA to say, OK, what action are you going to do as the regulator? The FCA will turn that around as well and say, OK, well, what is this telling us about 
your firm and what actions are you doing, particularly for senior managers? What's your take on this and what are you going to do, including investigations, but also what's it telling you about broader things like the culture at your firm and what that might mean on the markets, on treating customers fairly and the integrity of staff across the organisation. I would say integrity, such a a very broad area and open to such interpretation. And certainly, as we discuss with clients across the industry, it's acting with integrity is still where there's little guidance out there. As Penny said, maybe there will be that headline case that will come up in the next few months or years that will give a bit more clarity. But acting with integrity is the rule where I think firms are struggling. And I think Arguably, I would imagine within those COVID breaches that the determination will be probably focused more on that rule than any of the other conduct rules. The senior managers and certification regime, the accountability rules that the FCA introduced for banks and funds in recent years, they are the basis on which the FCA can enforce on non-financial misconduct. But we have mentioned a number of times there hasn't been many significant high-profile enforcement actions against senior staff at any such firms since their introduction. A question for you, Penny. How effective do you think the SMCR has been? It has been a game-changer in terms of improving governance. Individuals are much clearer about what they need to do and what they're responsible for. I think it's been really effective in the sense of regulatory references, which is part of the regime. So if you have conduct or breaches, for example, or you lack of fitness and propriety, that has to go on your regulatory reference. That is definitely changing behaviour. I feel there's still this piece about middle management and it's difficult to change some of those behaviours for people who've been in the industry for such a long time. And I think we have seen Mark Stewart, head of enforcement at the FCA, come out with certain statements about you've got to get the new culture embedded with those people in the middle. So it's that middle piece where there's still more work to do. I would agree with Penny that new entrants into the market, perhaps there's a generational thing here, they get it. Sometimes there are people in the middle management who see their roles as actually to protect senior managers. There are positive aspects to that, saying, well, look, my job as a middle manager is to deal with stuff, not to escalate everything up. And hopefully with some clarity as to where is my bounds of what I'm accountable and responsible for. But at times there can be negative aspects to that. So actually, well, if I escalate this up to the senior manager, this will make his or her position difficult because this difficult issue is then on their desk so I'll tell you what we're going to do we're not going to escalate this up now of course where such decisions may be needed to be made multiple times per day perhaps it's inevitable that sometimes people get those wrong so what can firms do it's all about education making sure that people understand the drivers of SMCR not just the letter of the rule but what is the spirit of this regulation when should you be escalating matters and when it comes to non-financial misconduct cases back in the early 2000s I remember when I was working in the city cases of colleagues who'd have a few drinks after work and it would end up in a brawl or whatever where it was a team from a regulated firm so it wasn't just a gathering of friends it was if you like a work event but out of hours in a pub those sorts of things would never have been escalated up to senior management would have never even been discussed perhaps beyond HR certainly not in the context of a compliance and a regulatory breach but those are the things where now some firms will still take the approach of look this is not something we need to consider and we don't need to get the senior managers involved but other firms do and that decision as to what to escalate up 
is sometimes the more difficult decision, particularly for the larger firms. And three of the four senior manager conduct rules reference this term reasonable steps. And of course, what the senior managers want something's escalated them need to be thinking about, and this is where the regime has been very effective, is what are my reasonable steps and how do I evidence what reasonable steps I have taken? And that can become in the context of conversations with supervisors from the FCA, but it can also be relevant in the context of an investigation and, and conversations with the enforcement team at the FCA and also can involve something that happened now six years ago since the regime went live for the banks. Clearly, the FCA regulate such a wide range of firms from very, very small firms to some of the largest financial institutions in the world. And for the smaller firms, that connectivity between the senior managers and the actual regulated activities of that firm, including where they're dealing with retail customers, etc., that interaction with their client base, they are closer to the action. So in those cases, the senior managers under SMC they know what's going on then certainly they understand what the key drivers of SMCR are they understand what it is that they are accountable for and I think non-financial misconduct is the area where there is more variability I would say so certainly some of the smaller firms it's not even on their radar to be frank and that linkage between HR and compliance that I mentioned doesn't always work so there's more to be done but I would say that the SMCR has been a force for good but we're probably not quite there yet. One point there, it is part of a wider picture, isn't it? And you've got the FCA considering adding in a sixth conduct question, which is, is your management team diverse enough to provide adequate challenge and do you create the right environment in which people of all backgrounds can speak up? And I think it's going to be hard to answer that kind of question if you've got bullying and sexual harassment and racism going on in your firm Mm -hmm. so that has to then tie to SMCR and then back to that non-financial misconduct so I think SMCR is part of the puzzle it's a critical part of the puzzle but it's not the only thing and one thing I think to say in light of Frenchdom Lucy for firms to think about is that although we don't have enforcement cases too many in the financial services industry Frenchdom is clear that they will look to enforcement cases in other industries. So from a legal perspective, sadly, we have a very serious enforcement case against a partner at a major city firm, Ryan Beckwith, and they will look to other areas in order to inform judgment. So it is worth firms looking at those types of cases when they're looking at their decision-making, I would suggest. And what's the Beckwith case relate to? So that was a case of a partner who had sexual relations with an associate in his firm. The facts are very specific. There was a finding by the Solicitor's Regulatory Authority that was then appealed. And the question was whether he'd breached the Solicitor's Regulatory Authority rules, which are similar to the conduct rules, and whether he should be banned from the industry. But there's a lot of interesting and useful learning in that from the tribunal. Okay, that's really interesting. And Mark, you've mentioned a a few times about the role that financial services firms, HR and compliance teams can play in working together to address instances of non-financial misconduct. I'm interested to know what your reading of the FCA's expectations are there and how firms can work together, particularly to determine what constitutes a conduct breach. Yes, so... HR matters are often very sensitive and often HR sees its role, understandably, as protecting confidentiality. And of course, you wouldn't want the situation where as soon as a a sensitive allegation is made, a sensitive issue has been discovered, that's shared with all and sundry at the firm. That clearly wouldn't be a good outcome and probably would lead to less openness in the future. So it's a careful path that firms need to tread here. So For example, we had a firm who, through their regulatory referencing of an individual, 
when this individual was 16 years old, had been involved in some very minor criminal activity, which they disclosed as part of their application. Now, in that sort of situation, the individual was employed and there'll be a file note on their record to reference this disclosure that they've received. If the person does it again in their 40s, something they did when they were 16, that then becomes something that's interesting and something that HR may then need to start joining the dots and bring in compliance. Often, though, we do see still actual live HR investigations. So other conversations I've had in the last year, this firm that was operating in the retail sector with large call centers had large numbers of HR disciplinary matters from, as you can imagine, a a very large call center of young people. Yes, stuff does happen, but absolutely zero in the way notifications to the regulator under, under the conduct rules. So it was not necessarily that there should have been notifications. However, there was no consideration for whether any of those HR breaches actually could have been conduct rule breach. So the compliance function just was not involved in that process. And there was no real mechanism for HR engaging with compliance when it was appropriate. What we have seen work quite well in a larger organization that we were working with was they had an HR champion sat within compliance. So somebody within compliance who was very trusted to keep information entirely confidential. And it was within their judgment and their role was to determine whether something was serious enough to escalate it up ahead of compliance at the firm when appropriate. So that was something that I thought worked quite well. But I think this is an area where definitely more needs to be done. And I would say probably the majority of firms that we work with, they still haven't quite got it right. It's still the case that a lot of HR still see it absolutely as their role to determine what to do with disciplinary matters, but actually understanding what constitutes a conduct rule breach, or at least the consideration of a conduct breach, isn't always happening, and they're not always involving compliance at the right time, so more to be done. And this is something that the FCA has said to a number of firms we deal with as well. A lot of firms we see, they have a conduct rule breach committee. It sometimes forms part of something else, but you have HR compliance risk and sometimes one of the senior managers. And what they have to do is when there is a disciplinary action, when something goes through HR, the conduct rule breach committee must determine whether there's a conduct rule breach. And the main thing there is that they need to really carefully work out to my point earlier, where are you drawing the line? And you need to record that very carefully because when the FCA come along, whether it's from an enforcement perspective or actually more likely, as we said, from a supervisory perspective, you want to be able to say we've had X number of disciplinary actions. We've determined whether there's a conduct breach and out of, I don't know, 50, there were three something like that. And we're also finding the non-execs for larger firms, the NEDs are starting to look as well at that kind of data and it's compliance data that ought to go up to the board so that they can look at that. It's the best way you can look at conduct risk and non-financial misconduct is a really critical part of that. So if you look at the positive negative indicators, is this something that's happening a lot? Has it happened before? What's the more broad picture of this individual? But the main thing is wrap it in a nice neat bow. So if you were to have to explain to a regulator, you can. And if you're finding you've looked at, to Mark's point, 100 different disciplinary actions, you've got no conduct or breaches, probably you're not in the right place. Okay. And Mark, you mentioned the FCA has indicated to clients that they believe that more work needs to be done here. Have they issued any letters or statements or any other kind of written information that firms can look to to determine what exactly they need to do? We are seeing in supervisory engagement with firms that these messages are being communicated more and more, whether that's verbally 
or by email through written communication, including for, for the larger firms where, where they have close and continuous monitoring and annual communications from the FCA setting out their key objectives and key areas of concern. We are seeing more of this really since 2018. That's when things have moved. But I think there is growing momentum. The supervisory approach is showing a trend. So the number of questions that firms are being asked, actions that they are being asked to evidence, including under SMCR, as we just said, that is an area where we are seeing a definite that upward trend and I think one that will will continue. Okay. Are there any common mistakes, Penny, that you're seeing in terms of clients' reactions to addressing instances of non-financial misconduct? It's mainly to me that record keeping point, that not investigating. So HR issue happens, disciplinary issue happens that's happened for the last 50 years, 100 years and not seeing it through that regulatory lens in in the most serious way. And then just the one other point is on senior managers and really taking it seriously and not just shrugging things off. Okay. And lastly, a question for both of you. What action points should listeners to this podcast remember from this episode? So I would say, look, this should be on every FCA regulated firm's agenda. And I would also suggest that this is not something that should sit as a separate training module or a separate silo. This is something that has to be embedded within the culture of organizations. How do you do that? Well, you do that through values, through tone from the top, support, encouraging a positive speak up culture where people are empowered to speak up and encouraged to speak up and uh, are protected when including things like whistleblowing. So what's really important is, yes, you need the processes. We've talked about things like making making sure that HR and compliance are better connected. As Penny said, making sure that senior managers can evidence that audit trail through their reasonable steps in terms of what steps they have taken and how they engage on these matters. But to me, the most important thing is around communication and culture, and that needs to come from the top. And see it as a positive thing. The FCA is very focused on diversity and inclusion. They are asking firms questions. There's a big DNI paper. There's a lot of data that they are looking at for firms. See SMCR as one of your critical tools, really, to be able to foster that kind of DNI environment and thereby meet other expectations of the regulator. Okay. Well, given the interest and confusion that I pick up from listeners around how to tackle non-financial misconduct, I have no doubt that your insight today will be of huge interest. So thank you very much both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.